Let's pray together. Father, thank You once again for our time of worship and what a joy it has been already this morning. And uh, Father, now as we turn our hearts and minds to Your Word, I ask You once again um, to do what only You can do through the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, the Counselor. To not just bring understanding to, to our minds about what Your Word says, but then to bring application. And that uh, through the doing, the application of Your Word, that we would continue to be transformed uh, as You command us to be. So, so Lord, we love You. We love Your Word. And uh, now in, de- in just absolute dependence upon You, we ask You to, uh, to speak truth to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. In Acts, you don't have to turn to Acts. I'll just stay where you are in Romans. I'm just going to... Acts 19, they're talking about the, the early church. And in several references in Acts, they refer to the early Christians as, as the way. I don't, you may be familiar with that if you read through Acts. Uh, Acts 19.9 says, But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. Right? Uh, Acts 19.23, About that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. Acts 22.4, I persecuted the followers of this way, right? And then uh, it says this, however, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the, the way, right? So the early believers, uh, they referred to the early believers as the way, followers of the way, right? You may be familiar with John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, right? So question, if they were called the way, where were they going? What is the way? Right? So Jesus, and we understand that in terms of salvation, but after you and I put our faith in Christ, which way are we going? Right? We're eventually going to heaven, but while we're on this planet, we've been asking ourselves, well, which way? Because there's a lot of people out there that'll be pointing you to a lot of different, you know, paths about which way to go. And and we've been talking about, we've been talking about uh, over the last few weeks uh, this this question as a believer. What what is our ultimate goal? What do what do we be what do we what do we be pursuing, right? And and we asked it in in, in a way that that many of you have been I think uh, challenged with. I've been challenged with. Are we called as believers to just be good and happy, or godly and holy, right? Are we called to just be good and happy, and that's it? Just just be better people, be good moral people, be 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 better than I was. And that's how we define the way. Or are we called to be godly and holy? And that's the way we're to be pursuing. And, and we've seen, right, from First Peter and First Timothy, that, that it's, we're to be pursuing godliness. We're to be exercising ourselves unto godliness. First Peter says, be holy as I am holy. Right. So, so it is godliness and holiness. Right? And this fall, we spent this fall looking at God's goodness, 
Then we looked at this idea of repentance. And biblical repentance is really just a change of mind. A change of mind about Jesus. A change of mind about issues in your life. And once you make that change of mind, it manifests itself in changed behavior. Right? And, and the key, right, we've seen if we're to be pursuing godliness and holiness as the way, repentance is the great liberator. We, we tend to think of repentance as a very heavy word, almost like I call it the scarlet R, right? We, we have, we, we, it's just this word that's kind of been used in very negative ways when truthfully we've seen, and we, we spent a whole lot of weeks, that biblical repentance, changing your mind, is liberation. Is liberation. Many of us get to a plateau of good and happy, even godliness and holiness. Okay, I'm not going to be... You may have grown, and you've grown to a place in your relationship with Jesus, and you're pursuing godliness and holiness, but you kind of plateaued. And here's the thing. You plateaued, I plateau, because we get comfortable. We kind of like, okay, man, I'm a lot better than I used to be. And the reason we don't continue to move towards godliness, towards holiness is because we stop being open to repentance. We maybe begin to just excuse certain things in our life. We get to a place of just accepting certain things in our life. Well, yeah, that's, that's, that, that's my crutch. Yeah, that's my weakness. Yeah, God understands. And so we have these, these really wonderful changes in our life. We get to a place where we look back and we go, man, God's done some wonderful things. I'm not saying He hasn't. But then we just kind of get comfortable and we just kind of land somewhere. And rather than still being open to, Lord, I, I want to I always be open to repentance, changing my mind about things because we saw it was a lifelong process, we slide into excuse and acceptance. And that's maybe where over the last several weeks some of us have been challenged. Lord, am I still open to repentance? Meaning, am I still open to you speaking through your word and me being willing to change my mind about some things? Now, as, an, as a young believer, that's really easy. Because easier in one sense because the scripture's brand new. You got this enthusiasm like, oh my gosh! God's talking to me. You remember those days? You remember those days as an early believer and you read something, you're like, oh my gosh, yeah, I'm going to do that. And you just did it because the Bible said. Fast forward 20, 30 years. Where's that Bible? Hon, you seen my Bible? Hon? Right? And then you find it and you read something. Oh, he, he can't mean that can't mean that right and and over time our attitude changes and rather than just this this wonderful openness and acceptance to god's truth changing us transforming us me changing my mind to line up with this suddenly we get to a certain place where we're trying to get this to line up with our life right and so we've been in this wonderful series we know god is good and all the time, Romans 2, 4 says His goodness leads us to 
Uh-huh. Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> Come on now. His goodness leads us to what? I love repentance. Turn to someone and say, I love repenting. <laughs> I love repenting. Now turn to that person and say, I'll help you repent. Go ahead. See? We're, we're real good at knowing what other people need to repent of. Amen? We're real good. Cindy, you know exactly what Candy needs to repent of, don't you? Don't you? But me? Oh, oh, right? Romans 2, 4. God's goodness leads us to repentance. In His goodness. In His desire for my good. In His desire for your good. In His desire for the good of all His kids. He leads us continually to repentance. Why? Because as we change our minds to line up with His truth, we become more and more like Him. Is that a good thing? Okay, remember you said that. <laughs> Just remember you said it's a good thing to repent. Uh, and, and this is where we kind of really are now slowing down. Because, yes, God is good. Yes, the Bible says His goodness leads us to repentance. We all affirm it's all good, right? The challenge is when we say amen in a few minutes and we have to go live it. And all the old habits come back. And all the pressure from the world comes in. And we're confronted with decisions. That's when it gets real. That's when it gets uncomfortable. That's when we realize, I can't do this on my own. I need you, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, I understand you're good. Yes, you're showing me things in your word that I need to change my mind about. But Lord, quite honestly, if you leave it up to me in the flesh, I can't. And if you're at that place where you're, you're willing to wave a white flag and say, I can't, that is a beautiful place to be. That is a beautiful place to be. If you will just acknowledge and say, Lord, I can't. I'm scared. I'm in control. I got all these habits. I got all these years that this is just the way I am. If all of that's coming to bringing you to the place where you're just going to wave a white flag and say, I can't, that's exactly where you need to start. I can't. That's a great place to be. Okay? And so we're going to continue on. Look at Romans 12.1. Kind of that's, that's in a nutshell where we've been. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to the Roman church, the believers in the, in the city of Rome. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Verse 1, we said, hey, what Paul was saying in, verse, in chapters 1 through 11, the Apostle Paul had laid out the gospel, the plan of salvation. Okay? And he says, therefore, hey, in light of God's grace and mercy, in light of the plan of salvation, the most reasonable, rational, intelligent thing you guys can do, believers, is present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Whew. I mean, look at it. It says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Again, remember, this is the church that had just come out of the Old Covenant. So they were familiar with the word sacrifice. Right? So it was a very powerful term. For us, it's kind of like, you know, sacrifice, you know. 
But for them, when he said, hey, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, they knew he was saying, hey, it's an all-in moment. The animals that were sacrificed, that was an all-in moment for those animals. Right? It wasn't, hey, sacrifice your Sunday mornings. Hey, sacrifice 10% of your income. Hey, sacrifice... Hey, sacrifice this. Hey, sacrifice that. No, when he says present your bodies as a living sacrifice, he was like, you know what? In light of God's mercy and grace and plan of salvation, the most reasonable thing we can do is willingly lay ourselves on the altar and say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours. See, and then right away that turns back all the way to what we just talked about in repentance. Some of us need to change our mind about what percentage we've, we've sacrificed to God. See, that, that's how real it gets. Some of us need to change our mind about what percentage of our life we've actually sacrificed to God. Is it everything? Have we really daily Say, Lord, today I present myself to you as a living sacrifice in every area of my life. My thought life, my money, my relationships, how I work, everything. See, right there, that's, that's a moment of repentance. Some of us need to change our minds right then and there. And that, that just begins. If you acknowledge you need to make that, to make that is going to take time. It's going to take time. So right then and there, I mean, we could all like, okay, we're done. Give each other a percentage of where you're at, and let's check next week. <laughs> right? See, that's, that's the challenge uh, of doing what I do on a Sunday. I've shared this with you before, because on a Sunday, you guys come and you expect something new. What, I wonder what the message is going to be today. Right? And there's this pressure on pastors to keep moving forward. So, so the congregation comes and they say, I wonder what the message is today when pastors are like, what would you do with last week's? Oh, but you can't stay on the same thing for 52 times, can you? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Don't raise your hand, but, but I'm just going to ask a real question. How many of you even remember last week's message? Right, and that's why you know I I love these two guys Tyler and Bill because I'm like this. Come on, we gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta do this, we gotta do this. It's like why are we, why are we rushing? Why are we in such a hurry? <sighs> Slow down, right? So verse one says, "Hey, in light of God's mercy, in light of the salvation you have received, I shared with you my my personal." A little bit of my testimony last Sunday. You know what? I, I came to this place in my life where I realized the Bible said because I was a sinner, I was going to hell for eternity. And then the Bible says that by grace through faith in Jesus, I'm now going to be born again into God's family and have eternity in, in heaven. So in light of that truth, okay, Lord, I got no claim. I, I got no claim on my life. But that's what I believe is my conviction. What, what claim can I have in light of eternity? Right? And so I encourage you, some of you need, even though we've gone on to verse 2, if you're in verse 1, stay there. Just because we move forward, if God has you camped on a, on a verse, doesn't mean you, you just because just we're at verse 2, oh, I guess all the, 
all the real spiritual people move to verse 2, but I'm still stuck on verse 1. If God has you stay on verse 1 for an entire year, it's okay. Honestly. It is so it is so interesting how we do church where collectively we're supposed to all move at the same pace once a week. And so collectively, I guess we're done with that because pastors moved on. I've got to keep up. That's the challenge. No, you don't have to keep up. You go at the Spirit's pace. You go at the pace, you know. Okay, you've got you to stay there. So that was verse 1. Look at verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We talked last week about this idea of being conformed to the world, right? That word conformed is a pattern or a mold. A pattern or a mold. Not to go along with the world's schemes. Not to go along with the world's schemes, right? So we ask ourselves, and, and, and I love this, that it just happens to come on the heels of Christmas when many of us are pressured to conform to how the world does Christmas. And there's a tension, isn't there? Because this is the way you're supposed to do Christmas, isn't it? Isn't it? Everyone's got to get gifts. Don't we have to get gifts for everyone? I think. Really? And, and so Romans 12 says, hey, don't be conformed to the pattern or the mold of the world. And we said, you know what? That in itself, again, is another chance for repentance. Lord, show me in my world, in my life, where I have adopted, even as a Christian, I have adopted the world scheme, the world pattern, the world's mold. I shared with you last Sunday the challenge in this country where the American dream has come into the church. And because we don't think biblically, we've adopted the American dream as somehow it's biblical. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I think that's in Revelation, isn't it? (laughs) But we adopt it. We adopt it. A lot of our culture has come into the church... And we just sort of have a, okay, I guess God wants me to be healthy, wealthy, right? Isn't that, that's the measure of God's blessing is my bank account and my toys, and right? No. So we have to really spend time, honestly, and you say, Lord, am I, am I getting my self-esteem from the world system? Am I getting my validation, my marker of success? Lord, is it your definition or is it the world's definition? Even as a believer. That'll take you some time. That'll take you some time. I remember when I first started in ministry, you know, I was a youth pastor and you don't go into ministry for the money, right? And so we, we were on a super tight budget for years. That's how Nadine and I started our marriage and we had kids. And I remember, this is it still, it still affects me even at Christmas. I kind of always wig out because... We, all, we get together at my sister's house, uh, and all the family gets together, and it's a great big thing, and we've always had this thing with presents and all this kind of stuff. Well, we're in ministry, and I always went there as a dad, as a husband, and I always struggled. You know why? Because we were the poor family. 
And I always, I always struggled when it came time to gift giving and what presents we were going to give to the other family members in comparison to what they were giving to my kids or to others. And it deeply affects me. Even today, you ask my wife, sometimes we're driving, we're shopping, and I tell her, I struggle with this. And I know I struggle with it because being the poor family year after year after year and struggling with the world, it's the whole mindset of the world and what you're supposed to give and what, what, what's going to make them happy, all that pressure, and having to sit there year after year feeling like a failure, like a less than, like, a, oh, here, huh, made you a craft. Well, yeah, crafts come from the heart. Okay, but I wanted an Xbox. <laughs> you know what I mean? I no, I understand that, right? But 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 the challenge, even even as a pastor, even as a believer, to to go into the world system of giving, and this is nothing on my family. They're, they give out of their heart. They're just able with their means to give more. But when when you struggle with what really matters, and you struggle with it's from the heart, but the world says, well, yeah, that's really reflected in how much you spent on them, isn't it? Isn't it? Right? It's crazy. So there, there's, there's things in your life that it just takes time to think about. And sometimes when you struggle with something, here's the thing, if you're struggling with something, maybe it's God just churning you. Maybe, maybe that struggle is, is God bringing conviction and revelation. Right? I struggled with this. And, and, and honestly, for a while, I just tried to deny it. I would just hold my breath, put up with it, and then be glad Christmas was over. And then God's like, no, you know what? You've got to deal with this. You've got to spend time and think about why it bugs you so much. And the truth was, this whole gift-giving thing bugged me so much because I was comparing myself. My value system, my self-esteem was way deeply connected to what the price tags of the gifts. That was a deep struggle. It still is. I have to choose. Okay, I'm telling you right now. I'm going to be honest. We're going to go there in a couple weeks. It's going to happen all over again. And it's a choice I make now because I recognize what the issue is. I just have to choose. So if you're struggling with something, if something's like, oh man, I'm just struggling. Lord, what's going on? Stay there. Seek counsel. Seek His Word. Because maybe He's wanting to to do some heart-level work. Maybe He's wanting to continue to grow you and transform you in these areas that kind of catch you off guard. Okay? So it says, Do not be conformed, Romans 12, 2, Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And here's the thing, guys. If you choose not to be conformed to the pattern of the world it's going to have a little bit of a cost. Okay, a lot of bit of a cost. Not just from unbelieving family and friends, even within the church. Even within the church, you may catch criticism. You may catch even discouragement. Right? You've been kind of floating along in the church. God gets a hold of your heart. You realize, oh man, I've just been going through the motions. Oh man, I've got to repent. I've got to make some changes. You might have some people in the church look at you kind of funny. What got into you, sister? Now you're a Jesus freak. 
It's, it's, it's amazing. It's weird. There's even pressure in the church to conform. Right? You want to be free. You want to be all that God wants you to be transformed. And yet the person sitting next to you, oh, what's Candy going to think about me? Right? What, 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 are, what, are, what are my girlfriends going to think about me that, that have known me in church for 10, 12, 15 years? And suddenly God gets a hold of me and He starts transforming me. What are they going to think about me? I've seen it. Even in the church where we encourage you to love Jesus passionately. Well, I want to put my hands up in worship, but I don't know what she's going to think about me. Oh, she has her eyes closed. How many of us are so caught up in that? Come on now. We're just bound up, even in the church. We talk, love Jesus freely. If you're going to choose not to conform to the pattern of the world, you just got to go for it. A certain point, here's the thing. At a certain point, you got to make a decision to cross the line. You just got to cross the line. You got you got to be all in. It's like an all in moment, and you just got to cross the line and say, "Okay, here you go. I'm in." And then you're on for the ride. And then it becomes this crazy ride with Jesus, and you're like, "Woo! This is awesome!" Right? Because look in look in this says, "Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed." Right? Oh, talking about that conform thing, it was interesting. The world's not going to understand, by the way. If, if you're going to not be conformed to the world, understand they're not going to understand. Right? I read an article, uh, and it's kind of back and forth, but this article about Tim Tebow. This past week, Tim Tebow caught a whole lot of flack because Tim Tebow has publicly said he is going to be sexually abstinent until he gets married. The world this week was blasting him. He's not conforming. He has made a decision not to conform to the pattern of the world, what is acceptable. And as a godly man pursuing godliness, he's very open about his decision to remain sexually abstinent. And the world is hammering this week. The world is hammering him. You just got to expect that. The world's not going to understand. Right? The world's not going to understand. So we keep our eyes focused on Jesus. We pursue godliness and holiness. And as He reveals things in our life that we need to put off because we've been conformed to the world's pattern, you do it out of obedience, right? And He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, we talked about this word transformed. And we asked ourselves this morning, why are you here? Why did you come to church? Right? We've asked this two or three times already. Did you come to be informed today? Did you come to be informed? Just get more information? Did you come to get reformed? Meaning, learn more about what you're supposed to do and not supposed to do. And then go leave here and be a better moral person. That's reformed. Or did you come this morning to be transformed? Because look at verse 2. Be transformed. We are here to be transformed. If you're here to be reformed, that's a moment of repentance. You've got to change your mind. If you're here to be informed, that's a moment of repentance. You've got to change your mind. 
We're here according to Romans 12.2 because we're to be transformed. Transformed. And we said, what is that word transformation? It's metamorphosis. It's when Jesus was transfigured on the mount and what was inside Jesus, His glory, what? Came out. And in this transformation process, as a believer, here's the crazy thing. God wants to change you supernaturally from the inside out. And you're like, okay, so what's on the inside then? What's on the inside, right? Let's look at that. Look in your notes there. Let's go to Galatians 2.20. A few books to your right. Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. Look at this. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but who? Christ lives where? In me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So the Bible says right there, Christ lives where? In me, right? Let's look at uh, Colossians 1. Another Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. A few books to your right. Colossians 1. and 27. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So according to those verses, where's Christ? Resides in you. Resides in you, right? Turn to 1 Corinthians. Turn back to your left. Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So we have within us, Christ comes to live within us according to those verses. We're going to spend more time on this as we get into the new year. But I just want you to see this. 1 Corinthians 2.12 We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgment about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So we have Christ in us. This verse 16 says we have the mind of Christ. You know what that means? It means as a believer, you're able to understand spiritual truth. It means as a believer, you're under, able to understand things from God's perspective. That's the mind of Christ. 
How many of you have ever had a friend, a best friend, that you spent so much time with that you knew what they were thinking at certain times? Yeah, these two. How many of you have ever had a friend and you know that friend so well you could complete their sentence? That is what Jesus wants. He wants you to know Him so well that you know what Jesus thinks about certain things. Okay, everything. And you would even be able to complete Jesus' sentence because you know Him so well. See, you've been given the mind of Christ. When you were a believer, you were supernaturally given a new mind which is able to understand spiritual truth. Now He says, spend time with me in the Word, spend time with me in prayer so you get to know me so well, you know what I'm thinking. You see what I'm saying? So then when you're out in the world and you're dealing with the worldly situations, you know what Jesus would think about it. That's discernment. That's a biblical worldview. How many of us would love to know Jesus so well we knew what He would be thinking about certain things? Here you go. Just know this. Get to know this so well, you'll get to know what Jesus would think. That's why we're in the Word. That's why He gave us the Holy Spirit, to understand these things, right? And in fact, in 1 Corinthians it says, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell us. So here's the radical thing. He says, be transformed. Christ is in you. You have the mind of Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. Be transformed. Be transformed. Now, it's very interesting that word transformed. We really have to understand it. Look on the back of your notes because we have, to, we have to really get what it means. Because some of us right now are thinking, okay, that means, pastor means, is saying I got to do more stuff. That means I got to get busier. Some of you are already jumping there. You're already jumping there. Uh-uh. All right. Where it says be transformed, that word transformed, okay, in the original language, the verb is very important. They call them tenses. So it says present tense. The command to be transformed is a continuous process. It's not a once time. It's sanctification, okay? Number two, it's passive. This is important. The one being transformed is being acted upon by another. Look what it says in Romans, 2, in Romans 12 too. It says, be transformed. Does it say transform yourself? Okay, turn back to Romans 12 too because I know you're in 1 Corinthians. Go ahead. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. It says be transformed. That's continuous, and it means it's passive, which means someone else is acting upon you. The question is, will you allow that? That's the crux of it. It says be transformed. The issue is, do you want to be? And will you allow yourself to be? So be transformed. And then it's the third phrase that says they're imperative. It means we still have responsibilities. It says by the renewing of your mind. So it's not like just let go and let God think, okay, God, transform me. No, we have responsibilities. Philippians 2.12 says work out your salvation, right? We still have to work it out. It's God who works in you. So there's this cooperative effort. So, so 
question. Are you here to be transformed? It's a command. It's a command. As we wind up 2016, I want to I give you something to really meditate on, reflect upon. Lord, when I get up in the morning, is it my, my, my vision, my goal to be a part of your transformation process in my life? Everything in my life? Am I, am I open and willing and excited about being transformed? It's a very powerful word. It says, be transformed. Transform- Metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. Right? I want to show you this. Shiloh, go ahead. Put that down. We talked about the, the word picture for metamorphosis is a radical change from the inside out. It's not being a good Christian and, you know, what you do and don't do. In fact, I read this article. It's actually kind of heartbreaking. I read this article um, about Brad Pitt. And in this article, and you guys got to take it with a grain of salt because you don't know, you know, it's a short article. But according to this article, Brad Pitt grew up in a very strict Southern Baptist home. And the reason he got turned away from his faith was, in his words, all the guilt about what you should and shouldn't do. See, a lot of us as believers, if we're not careful, we get caught up in a lot of the guilt about what you're supposed to do and not do. That's reformation. That's being reformed. And then we lay that trip on other people. Hey, Christianity is about all the stuff you're supposed to do and not do and feeling really bad about it. That's not what we're about. It's about transformation. It's about transformation. Metamorphosis. And here's, here's the picture, right? We said it's about a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. That's what he's talking about. Transformation is metamorphosis from the inside out. Now, here's the crazy thing. You see this cocoon right here? Do you know what's happening in that cocoon? It's crazy. God is absolutely amazing. You know what a, you know what a caterpillar does in the cocoon? It digests itself. It, it's, it, it, I mean, it's amazing how God does it. It becomes mush. The caterpillar disappears. But what happened was when the caterpillar was being formed, before it hatched, it has these things called uh, imaginal discs. And those discs are like little gene pools of wings, of antenna, of legs. Everything in the butterfly was in the caterpillar, right? In the caterpillar, right here. He's carrying around everything he needs to become that. In here, the caterpillar dies. It becomes ooh. It just has become goop. And all the new stuff eats the old. And then it is transformed into that. Isn't God cool? Here's the crazy thing. That is what we're supposed to be about. How many of us are just trying to be better caterpillars? Let's be honest. You were raised, somehow you picked up that Christianity was just to be the best caterpillar you can be. And there are churches filled because people are going there to learn to be the best caterpillar they can be. Be all that you can be. God wants all of you to be a glorious caterpillar. And some of us here are like, well, yeah, I was a horrible, I was a horrible caterpillar. I could tell you stories about how horrible I was. 
But now look at me. I'm a better caterpillar. Is that what we're about? Did you come here this morning to be a better caterpillar? Look at the person. Did you? Are you here to be the best caterpillar you can be? No. You want to be a butter? Yeah, there's a lot of painful stuff happening in that cocoon, though. See, that process of sanctification is that dying to self, that putting off the old, putting on the new, that surrender, that submission. But it's all good because God wants to transform us into that. Amen? That's the vision we have to have. That's what lights us up around here. That's why we read Scripture. That's why we pray. That's why we fellowship. Because we're not just trying to be Ojai Valley Caterpillar Fellowship. (laughs) Right? OVCF. Come and be a caterpillar. And fellowship with all the other caterpillars. And then come to Delta Groups. Come to Delta Groups tonight, guys. And we're just going to sit around and talk about how to be better caterpillars. How was your caterpillar week? And how was your caterpillar week? That is not why we sing praise to God. That is not why we do anything around here. Not, we're not here to be better caterpillars. We are here. We have been given the mind of Christ. We have been given a new nature. We have the Holy Spirit in us. Everything we need is there. Together, we go through that. To get there. Amen? That's what I want you to see. That's what I want you to get as we close 2016 or 2015 into 2016. Get a new vision for your life. Maybe someone today just needs to go, oh, ha! Okay. I've just been trying to be a caterpillar for all these years. I've just been trying to clean up my caterpillar life. And I'm better than I was, but I'm still limiting myself to a caterpillar. God has so much more for you. It's supernatural. He wants you to emerge and He wants you to enjoy and slap you in and be something you never thought you could be. Starting today. Starting today. If you will just make the change of mind to say, I am no longer limiting myself to being the better caterpillar, but I, I'm in transformation. I'm in a metamorphosis process that will go on until I see Jesus. But until then, that is what drives me. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank You. Thank You that You did not call us just to be better caterpillars. But You say, be transformed. Allow You to transform us. Make decisions daily that enhance, that further, that transformation. Because, Lord, You have a vision for us that far outweighs and just is so beyond what we could even think or imagine. Because You are conforming us to the image of Jesus. And so as we wind up 2015 and move to 2016, would You just give us time today, this week, to really make the change of mind that's necessary. And maybe as we take communion now, And we remember Jesus and His supernatural act on the cross and Your supernatural act of raising Him from the dead. We would be reminded that You desire to do a supernatural transformation in our lives. 
So we take this time of communion as a time of reflection, time of remembrance, but also time, Lord, maybe, maybe a time of repentance to change our minds about what we're really about as we follow Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life.